Hi, I'm John, and this is a special midweek episode of the Georgian Bay Roots podcast. You're about to hear a couple of songs from and my full conversation with multi-time Juno nominee Maria Dunn. She's fantastic. She's played Summerfolk a few times, and she's got an incredible ability as a songwriter to tell the stories of people whose stories might not otherwise be told. Have a listen. Thanks for tuning in, and feel free to tell your friends about the podcast.
Welcome to Georgian Bay Roots and welcome back to Owen Sound. How is your festival going so far? Absolutely lovely so far, John. Thank you. We were on the main stage last night, myself and my wonderful pals, musicians, Shannon Johnson, Jeremiah McDade and Solon McDade. And uh, they're here this weekend. Uh, Shannon's doing a fiddle workshop. Uh, Jeremiah's doing a whistle and saxophone workshop at this sharing stage uh, tomorrow at 2. And, uh, and we're doing some workshops tomorrow. So today's more relaxed. So I'm delighted to be here on the radio. Well, we're glad to have you with us. And radio is close to your heart, I understand. I spent 13 years as a campus community radio DJ at the University of Alberta in Edmonton, the mighty CJSR 88.5 FM. Still remember the call sign. I do. And uh, for some years, uh, I had the Friday morning folk roots slot from 9 a.m. to to 11 a.m. And it was the Friday morning after the late night um, pub Celtic music session. So it ended up being called the Barely Awake Roots Program. And I was Ramblin' Maria, your host. Did that experience in folk radio precede your, your flight into the folk world as a, as a performer? Or did that inspire part of that? I'm sure it inspired and performed uh, sorry, inspired and informed becoming a performer. But, I, you know, I grew up, music has been in my life from the very beginning. We just had breakfast this morning with old family friends here in Ontario and my brother Paul, who's here. And we were reminiscing about uh, growing up when my, my parents first emigrated to Canada. They would have house parties and the whole uh, expat community coming from the UK. My parents were born and raised in Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, when those folks came in the late 60s um, to work in Canada and they kept their connections with each other having emigrated at the same time and when they had a house party there was none of this sitting around drinking and just chatting no 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 you formed a circle in the living room everyone had to do their party piece so you had to have a song ready to sing if you refused to sing, you had to tell a poem or a story, something like that. So I absorbed that from the time I was 
just a wee toddler, uh, just that idea that music is something that you make together with friends and family at home. Uh, you can, it doesn't need to be perfect. Um, it's about the heart and about the sharing and the enjoyment and the joining in with each other. So music has always been in my life in that sense. Uh, I did take classical piano um, for many years. Uh, and But I also had the other side. I had the guitar around the campfire and the, the house party music. So when I started at radio, I think... Um, I just I was so inspired by music and I went to hear so much live music and I got involved with the the community which was the radio station putting on live performances at the time it would have been um alternative rock uh or it was just the beginning of bands like the Pogues and Spirit of the West and those sorts of bands that were bringing that real kind of punk uh rogue folk energy uh, and bringing it together with traditional Scottish and Irish and English music, the Oyster Band as well. So I remember th those bands were kind of the, with their punk energy, were kind of what drew me further into traditional music. And then I, and helping to put on gigs at the, that the radio station was sponsoring. And then gradually, I think I put in my name, I muscled up the, mustered up, the courage to say I would love to be on the radio and I think I still have a cassette tape of my very first sort of set that someone mentored and allowed me to put together and present on the radio sort of about 20 minutes of music oh I, w I can hear how nervous I was so it took a long time to to overcome that but I loved the music so much I loved exploring the the record stacks at CJSR and it was in the days when you had two turntables and that's what you queued up it was before CDs and you had to learn how to sort of slightly you know maneuver this little you know dial here and this fade fader here and do all your own tech stuff while presenting the music so it was a huge wonderful learning thing for me so I explored those record stacks people like Willie Dunn name leapt right out at me because of the name um, so that's how I discovered his music that's how I heard my first song about residential schools in Canada what an education Buffy St. Marie, her albums um, old Irish traditional Luke Kelly um, Archie Fisher and the Fisher family so traditional Scottish music Silly Wizard, Andy M. Stewart all of this you know, Bob Dylan records, just when you think about it, because you do this as a presenter, you're uh, tying together a set of music by theme, so it's kind of whatever pops into your head, or there's new music that comes into the radio station, and as you're sitting and listening to that new album that someone's made, you're thinking about all of the other music you know about, and how that new song that you really love might connect to another song that you really love, theme-wise or influence-wise or something like that. So the creativity and the wonderful immersion in such a broad spectrum of folk and roots music was a wonderful learning experience for me. Hearing you describe that makes, makes me feel like I learned how to drive automatic uh, with computers and I can just drag and drop things and like you learned to drive standard there with like the crossfading <laughs> and the juggling and um, that, 
that reference to Willie Dunn, I, I think, is a good bridge into a lot of the songs, Maria, that you write tell the stories of people whose stories might not otherwise be told. And, and I'd love to hear more about what calls you to the stories that call you. And, and if there are particular people's stories, who you seek out in that way. Mm. I'm very much drawn to stories of the underdog and immigration stories. So many of us have immigration stories, um, but also stories of struggle, human struggle. So, I mean, the part of that goes back to my own family history, learning about uh, how my ancestors in Ireland survived the Irish famine and the, um, the hardship that they went through, uh, the stories that my own family would tell, um, I had the the privilege in my early 20s of of living and working in Scotland for the better part of a year. And on my days off, uh, about every month, I would go and sit with my gran and granda Arbuckle and hear their stories about uh, the 1920s, 1930s in Scotland and their experience in Glasgow as working class people um, without... Uh, you know, with my, my granda being out of a job for a while and the kind of hardship, the financial hardships they went through and how important um, being involved in the labor movement and helping to elect a labor candidate was to them at the time. Also, hearing my, my grandfather's story I uh, told on stage last night, uh, he was a teenager when he signed up and he served with the British Army in World War I in France. And uh, when we were kids, we would visit their wee flat in Carnock Road in Glasgow. And he didn't speak a whole lot about his experience as a soldier. But he showed us a wallet that he had been wearing when he was shot on the battlefield in France. And the surgeons who saved his life and removed the bullet from his chest told him that this wallet had saved his life. It was a, you know, very simple brown leather wallet with a single metal clasp in the middle of it. And apparently that little piece of metal deflected the bullet so that he lived. The surgeons also told him he was lucky that it was a German bullet because if it hadn't been a German bullet, he would have been suspected of shooting himself to get off the front lines. If you've seen Peter Jackson's they Shall Not Grow Old film that was in the theaters this spring. That brought back so much of what my grandfather must have gone through as a teenager. So many of those young, young men were in that tremendously horrible condition. And then they came back home to their working class communities and inflation was skyrocketing and they couldn't get jobs or even if they were working full-time with jobs they couldn't make ends meet were living in still a lot of poverty given how much they had sacrificed for a big war machine where somebody was making money and so in learning my own family stories it made me much more aware of what my ancestors had come through to uh, to help improve my life and, um, and just, I suppose, the gratitude of that. Learning our own family stories, learning where we come from gives us so often 
a much better insight and compassion for other people's stories. And so at some point I moved beyond exploring my own family stories in my early songwriting, which I did with The Shoes of a Man and a song about my Irish ancestor called New York, 1849. Um, I started reading other stories and starting to write about other people's immigration struggle, work struggle. And then in Canada, as I think of it now, and speaking about Willie Dunn and Buffy St. Marie and becoming aware through their music and through growing up in Canada, um, very much the injustice that Indigenous people in Canada have, su have suffered as a result of colonialism. And so in more recent work, um, I have had the wonderful opportunity to work with Indigenous artists in Alberta. Uh, for a while, I was invited by a wonderful Métis songwriter named Laura Vinson to be a side musician in her band. And uh, for about 15 years, I toured with, toured with her to Korea, to the Netherlands, all over Canada. Um, and it was such a beautiful thing to witness um, the storytelling she was bringing in terms of Indigenous history, Métis history. And uh, with all of her concerts and tours, she brought along young people, young Indigenous dancers, so that we could see their absolutely beautiful, important dance traditions. Um, so as I have become more confident as a songwriter and to how to, um, to speak about such an important issue in our lives as Canadians, in our society, the, I think one of the most important issues in Canada is justice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters. And so I've been very privileged to work with Laura Vinson, very privileged to work with a group of women in Edmonton, Indigenous women's trio named Asani. And uh, we were invited by members of the Fort Mackay First Nation community to come up and meet with them. Uh, a, a collaborator pal of mine in Edmonton that I've done so much uh, workers' history with and multimedia shows, a videographer named Don Bozek. And uh, he and I finished a show, we'd done a couple shows together about working people in Alberta, about uh, women who worked at the GWG clothing factory, and then we were looking for another project, and we started to think about, in Alberta, of course, the, the oil sands up north, and how the indigenous communities in Fort Chip and Fort Mackay are on the front lines. They've been on the front lines for more than 50 years in terms of development and industry coming into an area that they have lived in for thousands of years. And I remember listening to Sheila Rogers interviewing a woman in Cree up in Fort Chip um, more than 10 years ago and speaking about how long her people had lived on the land. And I thought, we have this arrogance that we go and we plunk down industry and we decide we're going to make money off of this, and we expect those people to move out of the way. And if they're not going to move out of the way, we're going to destroy their water and their air. And with those communities, so seldom are they even remotely invited into the decision-making process or the profit that comes from all of those resources. And so with the Fort Mackay First Nation, we had the chance to learn about Dorothy McDonald Hyde. 
from her granddaughter, Feather Hyde. We were doing some music with some youth in Fort Mackay, and she told us about what a strong advocate for her people, for the environment, uh, for the indigenous people who live on the land, to get a chance to be part of the decision-making process, not just consulted at the last minute, but really they have so much knowledge to share that could make the process so much better if they are truly consulted. And so Dorothy was such a strong po- spokesperson for her community uh, that we did ended up doing a whole multimedia show inspired by her story and the story of Fort Mackay First Nation with interviews from Dorothy's uh, friends and family and footage because Dorothy passed away about 10 years ago. But we have some film footage of her speaking as well. And so we, we wrote songs inspired by those interviews and uh, myself and Asani, and we performed that for the first time, weaving the music with the video for the community in Fort Mackay, right on the Athabasca River. It was such a powerful experience, and we asked the community for their consent to share that story further, and they gave us their consent to do that. So it's been such a privilege to, in more recent years, to 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 be able to uh, share in those partnerships and to be trusted um, to help tell those stories that I think are so important for us all to hear, those stories of people like us struggling through a situation that if we only knew their story from their point of view, it could open our minds and hearts in such uh, a crucial way. I really appreciate the way that you phrased that that final part about not just performing it and reflecting those stories back to the community, but also making sure that you've got consent to share those stories beyond. And, and so often, I think, as, as creative people, we can find inspiration in so many places, but we don't always... Uh, take the time to ask the question, is this my story to share and to tell? And what part of this can I tell? And that, that is something that in so many ways, the, at least the creative circles that I, I run in are just beginning to start to come to grips with. Mm. And, uh, and that's really powerful. The, you talked about the involvement in, of young people there, and that circles in some ways back around to your experience as a young person surrounded by, by parents and, and, and upper generations playing music and, and absorbing that culture through osmosis, through e- uh, exposure. How, do you, as someone who has toured across North America and beyond, how do you see folk festivals and the wider musical community engaging young folks is I think that festivals are doing a pretty good job of that um I know I from my 20s on um have gone to the Edmonton Folk Festival every year and I see a young generation coming up in fact I was just remembering today uh, sitting listening to Ani DeFranco last weekend with uh, a friend who's in her mid-30s now, and I'm in my early 50s. So when Ani DeFranco exploded and was saying all the right things that we young women needed to hear in the late 80s, early 90s, I was in my early 20s, and it was so interesting to sit with my friend Jess and have her 
talk about, you know, being six years old the first time she heard Ani DeFranco. <laughs> and there we were sitting together on the hill. Uh, so there's a whole generation um, coming up of kids who attend festivals that we're not seeing so much into the folk clubs. The folk clubs still seem to be an older, an older person's um, endeavor, although I am no longer the youngest person in the folk clubs in Edmonton. So I'm glad to see that there's, there's becoming more of a, um, a crossover, more of a connection. But, um, you know, I'm not such a young person myself anymore, so hard, it's hard for me to... I'm not sure I answered your question. <laughs> it, it was maybe a broad question. Uh, but that, that theme of... of interconnection and culture being something that we pass along and something that we do together and that we create together and that we need to keep creating together. Um, looking around here, I see, uh, I'm just going to call it my family in the back and my, my, uh, 12 week old niece is in a, in a baby carrier there. And there's, there's room for families in these environments. And Absolutely. if we don't have families in these environments, then we can't have them. And, uh, I had a beautiful story told to us just this morning when we entered the site. A fellow named Joa—I'm not going to pronounce it—J O A C Joachim. 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 Yeah, it's like you walk him, but fast. Joachim. So he told us a beautiful story that, as I was introducing on the main stage last night, my story about my grandfather and the the bullet holes in the wallet. His grandson sitting on his lap, piped up and said, I don't like killing people. I don't like bullets. So there is a younger generation listening <laughs> to what we're saying and what we're singing. And so, yeah, um, you know, I think that especially festivals are good at that because you do have whole families coming. Maria, thanks so much for taking time out of your festival to join us uh, both in this tent and on the radio. If we were going to slide out of this conversation into one of your songs, which song should we play? I think Malala would be lovely. All right. And well, then folks can sing along. Here's Malala by Maria Dunn on Georgian Bay Roots. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, John. Now you know why they call me Ramblin' Maria. Malala, where are you going? I'll walk beside you, I'll meet you there. Malala, where are you going? I'll walk beside you, I'll meet you there.
You there. 